The inflation issues, the things that you're dealing with on the back end, the droughts and the heat that we're facing, the geopolitical issues, the Federal Reserve policies and the Treasury's policies that are inflating the dollar to near all-time highs, the cost of fuel. When you roll all that together, logistics could be perfect and it wouldn't really matter that much. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in 3, 2, 1. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0. And, of course... I am joined by my co-host on the show and co-host in life, Glenn Tate. You know how Hollywood does all kinds of sequels? We have a sequel for you today. This is part two of our great conversation with Dan, the food industry executive. Part one was episode 195. You're going to love this. More great Patreon questions to an absolute expert on an absolutely important topic. There you go. What are lurkers? Lurkers are folks that listen to the regular show, that is on radio or the free version of the show on iTunes or Spotify. Which is very awesome. Which is awesome. Thank you. We appreciate that. They don't get the full benefit of the show. They don't get the after show. They don't get the video bonus shows. They don't get the full impact. They don't get to ask guys like Dan, the food industry executive, questions. Uh, they don't get the recipes. There's a million. Oh, they don't get the outtakes. They don't get the videos that we do of our homestead. Yeah, that's right. So why don't you do yourselves a favor and become Patreon supporters? It's two bucks a month. Uh, Five dollars a month gets you more stuff. And you can go on to our website, prepping2-0.com and go on the big button on the homepage on the upper right that says become a Patreon supporter. You'll be glad you did. Well, let's get into it with this, as I say, is part two of Dan, the food industry executive. There were 37 Patreon questions. All of them were amazing and very thought provoking. And Dan is going to be answering some more of the questions. If you haven't, please go back and listen to that show because just huge, huge amount of information that will help feed into the ones we have today. But Dan, welcome back. Sam M. asked the questions. How do you see the drought? And you talked about that, and this is why I mentioned that. This was talked about in the last show, so please just skim over it, uh, Dan. But how do you see the drought impacting the meat supply over the next three years? For example, ranchers reducing herds, flocks to minimums they can sustain their operation and try to rebuild after the drought. Do you think food will mostly be available just expensive? Or do you believe there's a chance there will be severe shortages resulting in involuntary long-term fasting for many people? How hungry do you think people will get? There's lots of questions here. One And one last statement here. Do you think cities will suck up most of the available food to keep a lid on things while small towns and rural areas will get the leftovers or be left to fend for themselves? And that's a great example. Dan answered that last sentence there in depth in the last show. So, again, that's a great show to go back and reference. But go, Dan. Yeah, we, we got into some uh, inside baseball a little bit on the uh, rural urban thing and kind of how distribution works. So, but that's why you're here. Yeah, uh, listen to that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my uh, daily life. Um, <laughs> so, as far as the drought, I mean, it's it's the drought that's impacting the grain situation and the feed prices, right? So it's drought, fertilizer, and fuel contributing to the prices of grain, which then goes into protein. So yes, I do think that the meat supply will definitely be affected. And I talk mostly about beef, but you know, there is a bird flu too, taking out chickens. Why not? Um, and that's, that's an issue. Yeah, sure. Let's just, I mean, do it let's all just throw it in the mix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> might as well. How many horsemen were there again? Like 15? Uh, four. Um, oh, well, okay. Now it seems more like 15 sometimes. <laughs> um, so yeah, just throw all that in the mix, right? And what you get uh, on really all areas of protein is you get people reducing herds and flocks, right? Um, selling out while they can to avoid those high input costs. Um, so I, yeah, mostly just expensive. Yes. Um, some shortages, probably not immediately, but I think there will be more beef shortages next year than you saw this year, um, as herds are culled down significantly. Um, as far as, you know, people getting hungry and all that, uh, it's going to be expensive. And when food gets expensive, it, you know, it disproportionately affects those who are poorer. Right. right. So everyone has to kind of look at their own budget and make those decisions. Um, 
I saw a poll that said 40% of adults in the UK say that they've cut back to two meals a day instead of three. Um, like right, right now, they've already done that, much less in the future. So there's definitely some demand destruction going on, and people, yeah, I mean, people are going to have to make those decisions for themselves. Excellent. Well, Bob asked a question. He says, and this is a topic um, we have covered a little bit um, in our own uninformed way and also it was a topic of my khnc show which is available to patreon supporters who get the video bonus shows but it's the seeming rash bob says he asks i should say is the seeming rash of food production facilities spontaneously combusting is that clickbait or is there something going on here are production facilities spending more on security as a marker that is indeed something the industry views as a threat or is this a case of underfunded capex not sure what that is or maybe a bit of both what are your what are your thoughts on the uh, rash if if it is a rash what on food production facilities um, having disruptions yeah yeah capex is uh, basically the money used to upgrade and maintain your f- physical facilities and okay such, right so he's saying uh, underfunding their security functionality and their sprinkler systems and all. Um, I don't think it's that. So about roughly a month ago, um, I actually had someone because I was seeing the same thing, but I wasn't hearing anything inside the industry that was abnormal as far as the fires and such. Um, So I actually told someone, uh, you know, Hey, you don't look like you're working much. Go do this for me. (laughs) But I did ask someone to do do some research on this. And what, so what he did is he went out and he found, there's federal data on industrial fires out there year over year for going back many, many years. And so he basically started digging into the data, pulling out only food production and manufacturing facilities. And he did a great job. Um, and what he found is that at that time, what you would expect for fires um, at that point in the year is you would expect the, the average to be 80 at that point in time. Now, this is a few weeks back. And then he went out and did all the research he could. He actually found several websites that are like compiling all of these fires. And he found that at that point in time, so far in the year, there had been a one. Hmm. No increase. Really. I mean, one, that's, that's nothing. Um, so I don't think that we're really, I mean, we're one fire above the average um, at that point in the year. So I don't necessarily think that this is anything abnormal. I don't know of anyone who's funding security or anything like that for their facilities. I mean, we had one of our warehouses burned down um, this year. Hmm. Um, so we're <laughs> one of those fires that you look up is ours. Yeah. Um, and ours was just, uh, it was an electric forklift that had a charger malfunction and, and basically the batteries disintegrated and burned down the warehouse overnight is what ours was. Um, so I think that it's being publicized heavily because the public consciousness has kind of said, Hey, food is an issue now. Inflation is an issue. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't necessarily think that there's more. I think the data shows that there's no more this year than there was in an average year. Well, I'd like to expand so. on a, on a point you made. And that is, by the way, Ed, thank you for telling us this because it was of great concern to me and I completely understand mm-hmm. and believe what you're saying. I mean, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, how many, people do you get to talk to that actually have research people that go and look this stuff up and have no no incentive to inflate or deflate the numbers so we're getting you know the absolute objective truth from you which is great well and if yeah. i if i yeah. may add here and i don't want to stop your train of thought glenn but i think you hit on it a little bit too dan in that the fi- yes we're one above the average and it wouldn't be such a big deal in any other year but when you are when we are looking at the kind of food issues that we're talking about in this show and the previous show it be you know it becomes be- an issue it becomes an issue right and Go that ahead. was exactly yeah. the point i was yeah. going to make once again dear you and me have like connected brains and yes. we are completely in sync that was the point i was going to make is that in the environment we're in when you see something like this you think 
there's probably something going wrong. Turns out there isn't, which is good. And Alan the Awful asks, um, <laughs> follow uh, question. How do the number of food processing facility fires and other incidents compare with those from previous years? You've already answered that. Thank you, Alan. That was a great mm-hmm. question. Our next question is from Jim Toby. And Jim asks, how prepared or are distributors and manufacturers to respond to panic runs on food? Should the general population non-preppers become convinced of looming shortages how deep are the stocks how nimble is the supply chain when it comes to feed the citizenry under stress yeah well let me uh let me share some good news um much more prepared than they were in 2020 Hmm. much more nice um no one wants that no one wants 2020 to replay that was that was brutal for the food industry. Um, just absolutely brutal. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that massive shortages, I would say they're only going to happen if something really catastrophic happens. So, you know, if Russia nukes Kiev or something, right? <laughs> Uh-oh, nukes are flying. Yeah, sure. Everything, everything's going to go. Um, short of something truly catastrophic, um, I, I don't see a ne- necessarily, I don't see a scenario where everyone just goes out in math like they did in 2020 and panic buys everything, um, you know, while the preppers sit back and wag their fingers and said, I told you so, um, yeah. <laughs> justifiably so, um, which so we don't want to do, most, <laughs> we don't want to do, but no. I mean, you, you would have been justified in doing it. That's in right. Um, so as far as the, you know, de- how deeper stocks and, that, and supply chain stocks, they're generally keeping stocks deeper. I mean, we're seeing that with our, with our order flow that's coming through from um, the, the way that distributors are ordering and, and warehousing and that kind of thing. Things are deeper stocked than they were not as deeply stocked as 2021. So you're already seeing the industry kind of start to drift back a little bit um, towards the pre COVID era, as far as the depth of the depth of inventory. Um, But right now it's at least better than it was then. Um, A lot of places have shortened their supply chains too. So the supply chains are a little more nimble uh, inside the U S than they were previously, um, which I'll put it to you this way. Supply chains are just to throw a number out there. Say they're 10% more nimble than they were before, but we have about 20% more negative factors pouring in on top of us than we did before. So Uh the net is probably worse right now, you know, than it would have been in 2019, for example, pre COVID. So improvements have been made. And basically what those improvements have done is help smooth out all of the other negative factors, such as supply chain and logistics and all the other things that are going on. Um, So I hope that answers that question. It most certainly does. And yet another important piece of information you've added. And Bjorn Gottfriedson says, and you've already answered this first part, but I'll read it to give context Mm -hmm. to his next question. He says, as a food executive, is the rumor true that cities are given first deliveries of food and then suburbs and then rural? You've addressed that. Then Bjorn goes on to, to ask, with the amount of truck drivers leaving the industry and cities being hubs of violence and riots, would that trend continue? He says, I ask because the new strategy of going to five different stores to find your food is becoming impossible due to gas prices. And then he says, uh, Skoll Dan, uh, that of course is a, is a, I believe a Danish or a Norwegian or, or Swedish phrase. Um, and he says, I want yeah. to hear uh, Glenn try that since his impression of my accent is so perfect. Uh, Bjorn is from Scandinavia, and I'm not going to do my Swedish chef imitation. Because you love me. And you don't like me to do I it. don't. It uh, just means cheers. So anyway, oh, back to the good. serious thing about truck drivers, riots, <laughs> urban hubs, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, skull, Bjorn. Um, I would <laughs> say the, you know, there's cities, hubs of violence, sure. You know, but the riot thing, yeah, I mean, there's, they're spread out and sporadic. I mean, we're not seeing anything like we saw during the, uh, you know, the summer of love, right? Right. <laughs> Floyd's revolution, whatever you want to call it. Um, nothing like that has been going on for a couple of years now, really. Um, so I don't know that the riots are necessarily factoring into anything, Um so really the the issue is not necessarily violence and riots. It's the 
trucking industry at large is facing, yes, retiring drivers. No one wants to be a truck driver anymore. Um, and then, you know, fuel prices and things like that are, are killing everyone. So you can make a lot of money as a truck driver right now because there's a shortage, but the shortage is the thing that is going to really have an impact later on. Um, how that exactly works out, I'm not sure because there are a lot of truck drivers out there, you know, making six figures um, because of the shortage. But even that high salary, even the fact that you can make a lot of money is not particularly incentivizing uh, younger generations to get into truck driving as a career. So that's kind of the big um, question that's kind of overhanging everyone is what happens with the trucking industry. Not necessarily now, but as these older truck drivers retire, then what? And I think a lot of people are thinking that we'll have, you know, we'll have AI, we'll have unmanned um, trucks, but that, there's a lot there that no one really knows what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. AI truck drivers kind of scare me. Yeah. I mean, having uh, several bit. tons <laughs> of steel going <laughs> 70 miles an hour with no one at the wheel. Um, mm -hmm. sounds, sounds pretty scary. Um, and Shelby's going to go ahead and ask the question for Patriot 60. Yeah. So Patriot 60 asks, do you have any info on what the conditions may look like this winter in areas like Africa and the Middle East? Is starvation a possibility? Yes. Yep. It is. Yep. I mean, I mentioned this in the last show that the UN says a billion people face starvation in the next year. And I do not disagree with that number. Um, typically what you see is that, you know, a hundred billion, excuse me, a hundred million up to, you know, 300, 350 million. That's kind of the range of people that face starvation on any given year. And obviously they don't all starve. They're just in a very dire situation, right. essentially. Well, that number has gone to almost a billion. So, you know, 10 times, <laughs> you know, yeah. five, 10 times greater than what you would typically see. And I think that's accurate. I mean, you have countries all across Africa and the Middle East that depend upon Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus, many of them for 100% of their grain imports, many of them. Um, and many of them are 90% and 80% and so on and so forth. And so with the situation there and the global grain issues that we're looking at, th those countries, there are literally whole countries that do not know where their food is going to come from three months from now. And that's going to be a catastrophic situation um, if they don't find a way, you know, and maybe they, you know, bid out of bid grain out of Russia, you know, because Russia's got a pretty good stockpile and they're willing to sell it. And maybe that alleviates some of it. But yeah, the world's looking at a, a situation where you could have more people starve to death in the next 12 months than we had, you know, the previous 10 years combined. And that, and that was what I was going to ask for clarity on what, how much of a death rate. And I think that's, it's not just going to be people, you know, s scraping by and being in a dire situation. I think we're going to start seeing a death toll, but Glenn had a follow-up too. Yeah. Well, and one of the points that uh, you made in the previous episode, but I wanted to make it again because we have so many new listeners yes. and maybe they didn't listen to the uh, previous episode. That was episode 195, mm -hmm. by the way, this is episode 196. But when you have mass food instability, starvation, whatever you want to call it, in so many countries, you're going to have all kinds of revolutions and disruptions. I mean, look at Sri Lanka, which I think is a harbinger of things to come. There was a, a mass of people that overran the presidential palace and looted the place. Um, and sent the prime minister running. And yeah, yeah they're, they're out for... They're out for They're blood. Angry. Yeah. yeah. And so it, my point with that a is proper is, insurgency. Yes. yes exactly. An actual insurgency. insurgency. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and that then means and now Sri Lanka is not exactly a commercial hub of world commerce. I'm not saying that. But mm -hmm. when you've got countries completely uh, disabled and disrupted because of food created insecurity, you're going to have all kinds of other breakdowns. Let's just imagine Sri Lanka was the leading exporter of computer chips, for example. I mean, you would have massive secondary effects 
from a food right. shortage in a country. And by the way, that thing, you know, Sri Lanka being computer chips, that maybe isn't a very believable example, but there are countries out there, third world countries, that have incredibly important minerals, for example, that Taiwan. actually that actually do um, have a big impact on things. If you don't have a certain component, you don't have computer chips. That's not a made up thing. Yeah. And so there are right. secondary effects from all the instability. Well, our next question, Shelby, mm-hmm. go ahead and read that. It's from Barrett Runyon. Yep, Barrett asks, Dan, what are the top three? I love these kind of questions because it's, it's practical. There's no goofing around here. What are the top three items you would buy now and store now that you see may be very hard to buy? Uh, Maybe hard to buy. You know, everything, I don't predict massive shortages in any one area for the U.S., right? I don't think that rice is going to be unavailable for 12 months or anything like that. Um, I just simply predict that prices will continue to go up and there will continue to be sporadic shortages. So I think the best way I can answer that question is just to say, um, store the top three things that your family eats that you can't produce. Bingo. Because you'll always be happy eating it. And if it stores well, then great go ahead and get it. <laughs> I don't, I, that's about the best I can do to answer that. I don't have like, Oh, well, these three things are going to be unavailable because I don't think anyone has insights into that, into that. And nor do I believe that that's, you, that we're going to have mass shortages of any one, two or three things. Well, um, I, I think you, you've hit the nail more. on the head. I, there's more than once uh, Glenn and I have had the discussion, you know, and I've talked about it on previous shows where, you know, a quick trip to the grocery store before you come home, which used to be, if, you know, two years ago, 25, 30 bucks is $100 mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Right. That's a lot yep. of money for, you know, yep. just a couple of filler items. So, yeah, I think right. it's, right. yeah, keep doing what you're doing Can and I? whatever you buy now is good. So we have a couple more minutes. What were you going to say, Dan? Okay, let me throw one more thing out there real yeah. quick, okay? So we're talking about food, right? But one of the things, you know, consumer essentials, right? One of the things that I think is going to work out in our favor is anything in the consumer discretionary basket is going to get a lot cheaper probably mm. over the winter. And the reason for that is because everyone is so focused on food and inflation and food that the inventories of discretionary products are massive at, at, at everywhere, Walmart, Target, you name it. They are oversupplied on discretionary items. Things like Twinkies, is so, that what you mean by discretionary? No, <laughs> no, I mean like TVs and computers. And oh, like that. okay. That's discretionary, a non-edible, not yeah. soaps, not, not, cons- not essential consumables, but things that would be considered discretionary. So, so those things you things, don't have to have, yeah. but you might want, those things are going to, I firmly believe those things are going to bottom out in price um, over the next six, eight months. That's good to people, know. Yeah, so, people can't spend money on those things. Well, and think about They're spending it on food. Right. <laughs> so before we go into the after show, folks, think about this. Think about two years ago when COVID hit and everyone had to go online, how you couldn't find a computer. You couldn't find a printer. You couldn't, freezer. You couldn't find a freezer. That's that's going to change now. And that will bode well for us. So we have to, of yes. course, make this crazy break and go into the after show. But folks. No, no, not the after not show. The after the show. I'm segment. sorry. We're going to go into a break and go into the second set and carry on and answer more of our great Patreon questions. Folks, don't go away. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO, Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. 
Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Looking to meet other like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own prepper group? Already have a group? Join PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet has gathered the biggest names in the industry to help unite preppers everywhere. Join John Jacob Schmidt, Scott Hunt, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Charlie Hogwood, Samuel Culper, Survivor Jane, Rick Austin, Franklin Horton, Ryan Mitchell, and Brian Duff. Our team is united. Check us out at PrepperNet.com. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. PrepperNet.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. Body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for come and take it, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. Love America and a great cup of coffee? At Minutemen Coffee, we're passionate about our freedom, liberty, and exceptional coffee. Minutemen Coffee is a nationally recognized specialty coffee roaster, offering small batch roasted coffee for the people. Our heritage line is something for everyone, featuring dark, medium, and light roasts that are bold but not bitter and offered in whole bean, drip, and K-pods. Our liberal tears decaf also packs bold flavor for those who want delicious, satisfying coffee any time of the day. Plus, a portion of Minutemen Coffee sales goes to first responders and veteran-focused charities. And check out our coffee club for free shipping, 15% off, and the freedom to choose your roast grind quantity and how often you want it delivered. Shop online at MinutemenCoffee.com and use promo code FREEDOM at checkout for 15% off your first order. And have the freshest, most delicious coffee in the country delivered right to your door. Go to MinutemenCoffee.com. That's MinutemenCoffee.com. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're just enjoying this as much as I am as we talk to Dan, the food industry guy today. But I wanted to mention, and many of you have heard of them just now through our break, but some of our great sponsors, they're the ones that help us keep things going over here at Prepping 2.0. You can find them at our website, all of them at prepping2-0.com under the Friends and Affiliates page where there's a whole lot of really helpful coupon codes as well. So you can find over there My Kind CBD, New Mana Foods, EMP Shield, love them, Katie Armour, Backwoods Home Magazine, and of course, always want to check out Jared Savick, who is a great realtor in the state of Montana, and Lizzie McDaniel over there in Tennessee. You can find them at redstate-realtors.com, especially if you're thinking about relocating. Glenn, what's up? Well, our next question is what's up. Our next Patreon question from Clock Tower, and he or she... We don't want to assume any genders. We don't want to do that. Clock Tower is always a good person for a question. Yeah, Clock Tower, he or she has great questions. He or she says, I have seen dozens of people in red states posting about shortages, but here in my communist-run Washington, (laughs) the shelves, and we can relate, we used to live there, the shelves are well-stocked and price increases haven't been bad. Dan, do you see signs of food being distributed to states or cities based on political affiliation? You've already addressed the part about rural versus urban, but um, what do you think about uh, distributing food based on political affiliations? Right now, definitely not. Um, Not saying that's not possible in the future, but right now it's certainly not. 
I do think that people in red states typically have a different mindset, a little more, you know, focused on sustaining themselves and things like that. And so they're going to notice more um, than people maybe in deep blue urban areas. Um, people in the deeper blue areas tend to kind of say, well, you know, it's all an, I'm sure the government's got under control, you know, et cetera. Whereas people of our mindset take notice. So it could just be that people notice more in red states and post about it and such. Uh, hmm. That's just a theory. I can't prove any of that, but it's a darn um, good theory. No, it's, yeah. It's not being, nothing's being distributed based upon politics or region right now. Yeah. Well, our next question, Shelby, yep. why don't you read that for From folks? CB in the South. That make I have so many questions with a name like that. Smokey and the Bandit sm- is I, running through my exactly, mind right now. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, this person asked, we are continuing to build our food preps with garden and non-perishables from the store. I'm in the Deep South and things are come and go. Sometimes there's none of something and then a few weeks later there's plenty. Does Dan have an indicator for those of us that have been prepping that we are to... The really bad point, when the asleep people start to panic, certain specific items not being available for a prolonged period of time, true rationing, I know minimal rationing is already taking place in some areas, or will we start seeing riots at food stores, etc.? So you've touched on all of these, but I'll let you put together you your answer. You weave them together. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, I'm not really concerned about riots at food stores. Um, I think that inflation is going to stay high, prices are going to stay elevated. Um, but I'm not seeing any real indicators that there's a quote, really bad end quote point coming up. Um, other than people are just kind of getting slowly strangled by prices. Right. Um, now could there be a black swan flashpoint? Absolutely. I mean, who saw COVID coming in 2017, right? The Chinese. Um, <laughs> okay. Fair point. I got you. <laughs> I see yes, you, Dan, the food point. industry guy. I'll, all right. Glenn won Dan Zero, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Us normal people here in right. the U.S., we didn't see it coming. So could there be another situation like that? Yeah, absolutely. Which is why you always stay prepared, right? And yes. so I don't see anything on the horizon that would cause this panic moment for a bunch of people, but just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So right. just keep doing, keep doing what you do. And the country is so on edge. We're so divided socially, politically, regionally, that all it takes is a black swan event. And then with the underlying conditions, yeah. the tinder, if this yes. were a forest fire, uh, the, the tinder being so dry and prevalent, uh, right. an event can can become more catastrophic because of the underlying fissures. Like a crazy election or something in 2022. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. just a thought. Sure. No? That's right. Sure. So, Glenn, what's the next question? JB asks, how long will it take for things to get back to normal once all the other issues, <laughs> supply chain, are fixed? Shelby, Shelby, stop laughing. Stop laughing. That's a great question. It really is. But Go back to normal as in I miss America. I don't know if that's possible, but that's I my mean, answer. What are your, what's yours, Dan? I, and I'm I not mean, making fun my, of JB. It's a valid question, but it's just the, sure. yeah. It's a very valid question. I would say this. If your version of normal is, I don't know, 2015, 2017, 2010, that era, it's not. It's not. The prices are not going back. You're not going to be able to buy milk for 99 cents a gallon, at least not this decade. It's not going back to that. Um, The supply chain is slowly getting fixed, but the supply chain, uh, I don't want to go too deep here. The supply chain is simply the method by which we transport goods across countries and nations and states and such, right? There are other issues upstream and downstream of the actual supply chain that cause issues. And those issues are not going away. We could have the most perfect supply chain in the world right now. The whole world could have a perfect supply chain and there's still going to be significant structural issues with our systems. So the supply chain is it's a lot better now than it was during COVID. There's no doubt of that. And there's better inventory and stores, but 
the inflation issues, the things that you're, you're dealing with on the back end, the droughts and the heat that we're facing, the geopolitical issues, the even just going down to the Federal Reserve policies and the Treasury's policies that are inflating the dollar um, to you know near all-time highs, the cost of fuel worldwide, which is not coming down to $1.99 a gallon at the pump anytime soon. When you roll all that together, you know, logistics could be perfect and it wouldn't really matter that much. So it's not going back to normal. And if, um, and, and if I can yeah. do kind of a follow-up question to JB, and again, I want to reiterate, sure. I'm not making fun, but it's, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the wishful thinking that I wish. Yes. I wish it could all go back to normal. What I'm hearing you say, Dan, if I can kind of sum up for, and see what you think. We're not going back to normal. This is the new normal. I hate that phrase, but it is so apt. Yeah, it's it's a true statement. This is the new normal, and I, I hate it too. But yeah. it, but it is a fact that 2018 is gone, and it's not coming back. Yep. Yes. Okay. So on to happy. On that note. On that happy note. Um, <laughs> atypical sapien. Don't know. What a great profile. <laughs> just love our Patreon. Awesome thing. Yeah. Uh, asks. I've been reading about China's continued purchase. <laughs> Of the U.S. food, land, and fertilizer production. Warnings from Governor Kristi Noem a couple of days ago. What can we do about it? How do you think it will affect our supplies? And is there a way we can determine what companies owned by China? Would consumer choice pro of products affect this? Example, I avoid Smithfield pork products since the acquisition in 2013 by WH Group. What are your thoughts, Dan? Yeah. This isn't new, right, mm -hmm. for China. So, They've been buying U.S. food for decades and, you know, land, they've been buying up land, farmland, things like that for a very, very long time. The land purchases, and I, I'm not a realtor, I, I don't know that they've accelerated, but I would have to go look that up. I don't know. Yeah. As far as the, you know, food and such, China has accelerated its food purchases, not just from the U.S., but from basically anyone that will sell it to them. And it's estimated that they have something like anywhere from a year and a half to two years of food stored up for their entire population right now. Sounds like and they're, they're continuing well, to buy. And when China we, is the most prepper nation that there is. Absolutely. I mean, no joke. They keep stockpiles like nobody else does. Now they don't produce much. They cannot, cannot, cannot feed their population um, by any stretch. They import the vast majority of what they eat and they know that. And so they try to keep well out in front of the food situation. Some people have theorized that they've got this massive stockpile because they're going to try to take Taiwan and that kind of thing. They're going to get cut off from the rest of the world. You know, geopolitics, I'll leave that for people who dive deeper into it than I do. But from where I sit, yeah, China has always bought our food. They've always done that. And there's no reason for them to stop, especially because they've had horrible crops the last two or three years. I, and so I was they're just... going to keep bidding on those contracts. And I was just yeah. going to hit on that. Let's think about a year, year and a half ago when we had you on talking about how China was facing um, some flooding. 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 Um, and they were yes. snatching up above and beyond their normal um, world yes. market purchases. And so they, they, it sounds like that has settled down. But they they will always be a consumer of global products because that's they global can't feed agriculture products. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's buy U.S. products and everyone else's products or starve. I mean, that's where they're at. They cannot they can't even come close to feeding themselves. So, yeah, they're going to buy everything that they can possibly yeah. buy. Um, and that's not going to change well, as long as they have as many people as they have. Yeah. And and I know this that I mean I I did a show on this gosh like a year year and a half ago on the the buying up of American ranch land and if I may say this yeah. I know that um, Glenn Beck and I know Christy Nome have both done extensive sh you know podcasts and radio shows on this exposés exactly and I get my information from them on this whole issue so for this listener and for others I would I would suggest that's a great place to go what were you going to say though Glenn oh I would say just to add to what uh, everybody's saying about China stocking up on food the Chinese Communist Party is a collection of very very smart politicians that's why they're communists because they're politicians oh shrewd and they understand based on their recent history like the 50s and 60s that if the people are hungry, 
the Chinese Communist Party is getting thrown out on its ear, and it's going to look like Romania with Ceausescu being shot 67 times in the street. They get that their lives literally depend on feeding people, and they're taking appropriate measures. By the way, China doesn't just stockpile food. They are stockpiling gold. You got to wonder why. Hmm. But that's a whole different show. That's a whole different show. And so cute little question from Steve Chapman. We're not going to have Dan answer this. He's like, Dan who? And, um, and <laughs> Sorry, you can't know that. You can't. And so um, thank you, Patreons, Steve, for jumping. Ju- if, if I give you my last name, I can't come on the show anymore. There you yeah, go. Sorry. So, exactly. But what was really nice. We'll is call you not- Madge. Exactly. Oh, it's an I know. inside oh, joke. Yeah. Patreons understand. So uh, other helpful Patreons jumped in and answered the question. And so the next official question is from Steve Bragg. He asks, is the inter- is the industry experiencing supply chain shortages from you? I like this. It's a little bit different take here from U.S. poultry or egg suppliers. Can any of that be attributed to the wholesale sale destruction of millions of hens with bird flu? The reason given. I look forward to hearing from Dan every time he's on the show. His predictions have been right on the money each time. We've been preppers for years, but are kicking it into afterburner on food storage based on the predictions for the winter from Dan and others. Amen. And for that, I say thank you, Dan, because you've really equipped and armed our listening audience to how to fine tune and pinpoint their preps really well. So thank you. Well, And you have objective expert information. This isn't just, you know, uh, hysterical. You mentioned the YouTube videos with all caps and exclamation points. You know what I mean? You shouldn't make important life decisions based on hysterical emotion. How about objective facts? But go ahead and answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks, y'all. I appreciate that. I would say so there is some of that. Yes, Um, there is some of that. The yeah, there's been some bird flu uh, issues here and there. They've been fairly sporadic. Um, the life cycle of a chicken is pretty short. So what that means is typically you have more resiliency there um, than you do, for example, in the beef industry where you're waiting 24 to 36 months sometimes before slaughter. Um, you know, a chicken, you know, the breeds that they've got nowadays, it does not take long for them to hatch until they start laying. Just, a, just two or three months in some cases. So they can lay really, really quick. So that life cycle being short like that helps alleviate some of the burden when you have you know a million hens killed off in bird flu, right? Um, so that's one thing. Yeah, there are some shortages here and there. Um, but honestly, I consider feed prices to be more of an issue than bird flu. Um, that doesn't go away. You can cull a million hens and four months later, five months later, it's like nothing happened, right? So uh, it's the feed. It's the input cost of feed that's the real problem as far as poultry is concerned. You know, eggs used for industrial purposes are, uh, you know, not grade A, essentially. Um, Those are contract basis as well, typically. so yeah, there may be little shortages here and there, and you've probably seen some shortages at your grocery store um, from eggs, and certainly the price has gone up. Um, the average cost of eggs has almost doubled over the last three years, and and really that's why it's. But the, the underlying as well factor is you kind of have to go macro with it and say the average consumer is feeling the pinch of inflation. The average consumer still needs protein. They're looking at a pound of you know, lousy quality hamburger for five and a half bucks a pound, or you can buy some eggs and get your protein that way. So a lot of people gravitate toward uh, things like eggs and milk, even over, you know, beef and pork and chicken breast, because it's a low cost quality source of protein. So part of the increase in egg prices too, are that people gravitate towards that source of protein. Because it's cheaper. I have to ask, um, what are industrial uses yeah. of eggs? I mean, what percentage of an American automobile consists of eggs? <laughs> industrial means ingredient. <laughs> oh, okay. You had yeah. me, had me yeah. freaked out yeah. there that, that no, we're doing no, a yeah. Yeah. CNC machines. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. You didn't know that alternators have required two eggs for alternators. <laughs> Boy, you are an expert on a lot of stuff. Wow, you're magic. <laughs> no, so, magic uh, Dan. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, my bad, my bad. Oh. Uh, so just point of clarification. That's actually good that you brought that up. So food is sold in three ways. It's sold in retail, which is grocery stores. It's sold in food service, which is restaurants, school cafeterias, and it's sold into industrial use and industrial use is anytime your product goes in, in as an ingredient for another product right so wow. if you sell something to general mills to make cereal with you're selling industrially so that's what that's the three categories okay there you go well speaking go. of a similarly related topic steve bragg says if you run low i have one more and his question is <laughs> have the food packaging shortages eased up any or has the food industry switched over to u.s sourced alternative packaging yeah packaging's in a lot better shape than it was um 18 months ago so that's that's been uh mostly because yes some people have switched to u.s uh packaging companies actually a lot of companies have done that um, it's double to triple the cost. So there's another source of your food inflation is that the package that your food comes in is probably costing two to three times what it did four years ago. Yep. Um, because they're using us based, um, facilities instead of shipping it in from China. Um, the other thing is that everyone, everyone that I know is doubling and tripling their average order when it comes to packaging. So instead of ordering ordering quarter by quarter, people are ordering year by year um, mm. to stay well ahead of any potential issues. The other thing that happened is during COVID, when you would see all kinds of strange packaging <laughs> popping up out, out of the woodwork, like, I don't think that's supposed to have food in it, but it did. <laughs> uh, when that was happening, everyone was placing massive orders for their supplier in China, like one, some, I, I know of one company in particular, they placed a four-year supply Oh my of one order. It's a four-year supply of packaging. Well, guess what? That packaging came in in you know, January, February, 2021. They are set yeah. for a long time. And a lot of companies did that, maybe not four years worth, but they went way out beyond what they normally would. So when things alleviated a little bit, as far as getting product out of China, they all got these massive orders of packaging. Um, nice. So packaging, not a thing anymore. You can, don't worry about that. It's not a thing. It's more expensive if it's U.S. based, but it's no longer a concern. Okay, and our next question, I'm going to uh, take the liberty of answering, not because I'm a food industry executive, but because it involves a topic I know a lot about. And that is the 299 Days book series. Um, Bisky says, like in 299 Days, are loyal areas being intentionally better stocked than those would be that would be deemed disloyal? I fooled you. I don't actually have any food industry experience. I can just say Dan has already answered this question. Absolutely. And his conclusion is, no, there isn't such a situation going but on. But it could happen in the future, if, for sure. If we entered a factual setting like in 299 Days – Maybe it could. And so there you go. Yeah. Next question, Ed Morris. So can I throw one thing out there real quick? Oh, please. please. You oh, one like you're the there. author of 299 Days, Dan. No, oh, he's okay. the food expert, well, yeah. so. <laughs> okay. I've read the whole series twice, well, if that gives me Thank you very much. <laughs> um, the food industry is far more conservative than most other industries are. Nice. Interesting. Good. Just so everyone knows, the food industry is not the tech industry. It's like 99% liberal. It's not, you know, sorry, Glenn, we're not lawyers, oh. which are 95% liberal. I can attest um, to that. <laughs> the food industry is directly connected to American agriculture, which is, which very is overwhelmingly conservative. conservative. We're the ones that work directly with those people. People jump from ag to food manufacturing and back to ag. So this is overall a very conservative industry. And I can't, I don't have numbers, you know, 70% or whatever, but most people that you interact with in the food industry are not liberal. So when you talk about loyal areas for the food industry, the loyal area would be rural Nebraska, yep. <laughs> not Seattle. <laughs> Thank God. And it would, it just would. <laughs> so it's nice to have good rural news. Texas would be, would be quote loyal for the food industry, not Austin. Right. So just keep that in the back of your head that 
if it gets into that kind of situation, most people in the food industry, they may have to sell into the cities if they're made to, but their loyalty to the majority yeah. are going to be in the big cities. So I'm, I'm going to echo a little bit of that. I've in, in the last year or so, I've tried to have um, people specifically from the meat industry come on the show, and we never seem to get it scheduled right. But I remember having a conversation with someone in the beef industry, and it was a lovely woman. And I, and I just um, took notes while she said, do you want to hear what the beef industry did for people during COVID? And she went yeah. off. Do you want to hear what the yeah. agriculture industry did to save people's lives mm-hmm. and fed them during COVID? Let me give you a list. And she was proud mm-hmm. and seemed a little miffed and a little passionate. And, and every person I've talked to, to try, you know, it, it, as we've done all of this, um, this dance of the food industry in the last few years, I, that is a, a tone that I hear very often. And there is pride in that. Our agricultural yeah. um, uh, industry in the United States is something to be proud of. And so we have one final thought or two before we go. Yeah, but- and on the, on the topic of the food industry being largely conservative and having what I would call American values, I can see that with my own yes, eyes. Here in Every Montana. time I drive, you know, six miles from my office to our house and our house is out in a bunch of cattle fields and, and horse stables. And you really can sense that when you're in a red area, especially like rural Western Montana, where we actually, we have far like three cows for every person. And we have, I think a horse for every person. And I didn't understand this and see this when it came uh, to living in Washington state. It's an entirely different vibe. You know, people in, in red states, and I'm, all I have to go on is Montana. People actually fix stuff. You know, our, our high school age son had a very interesting thing to say. He said when he came to Montana, he said that all his friends in high school, they all have jobs. And he said back in Washington, nobody I knew had jobs. And you think about it, that's a very profound yeah. observation, and it's a very important uh, value that people have. And so I've always thought, and, and I've been accused of being too hopeful, but I've always thought that when things really fall apart, red states are just full of, generally speaking, better people. Salt and of the earth. Salt of the earth, people who understand hard work, who are going to work hard, who under, who know how to raise cattle and do all these other things. Life is going to be so much better in a red area when stuff hits the fan. Uh, it's a huge, huge advantage. Well, and what I appreciate, and we're going to just kind wrap of up fit, the regular show. wrap up the regular show here, but I... I fully feel when I watch some of these channels that some of these agricultural providers have, they understand how important and they will stand up for their industry because they understand how important their place in the food supply chain is in the United States. And for anyone to detract from that is is insulting and they need to be prideful of that. And and I give them that. I give them hands down, hands Lots and lots of claps. But folks, we have to wrap it up from Benjamin Franklin. Boy, this is so poignant this week. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.